Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's Monday. Howie Spangler here. Tales from the Green Room, episode number 70. We made it. 70. Sick. Hey, check it out. Uh, so, the brand new Ballyhoo song, Renegade, is uh, up for pre-save now with Spotify and Apple Music and Deezer, if, if you happen to be on Deezer. Um, anyway, uh, so you can go to the link. Uh, it's in my Instagram bio or the, or the Ballyhoo, the, the band bio. Um, tap the link and it, it looks like... It takes a couple clicks. I'm not gonna lie, it's not like one click and done, which I wish it was, but um, it's really super easy. Basically, what you're doing is you're you're letting um, Feature.fm, which is the company that we're using to the service we're using to uh, create the pre-save for you. Uh, you're basically giving them permission to access your account, but it's only it's only to um, add the song to your library on release day that's all it is so when you see that uh do you give permission like it's not that big a deal it's not like giving up your rights or anything it literally only means that they're going to put it in your library and you can pick a, you, you can pick your own playlist too that you want to put it in if, you, if you'd like if you got a workout playlist or you know whatever clean the house playlist um but anyway um i would love it if you would go there and tap the link and pre-save the song, um, especially at Spotify, uh, every every pre-save helps and counts. Um, and also, if um, if you would hit the while you're there, hit the follow button uh, for the band on the, on the Spotify page. The more followers we have, the more playlists uh, every release goes out to. So currently, we have 63,000 followers on on Spotify. That means the song on release day, next Friday, um, May 31st, is going to go out to 63,000 playlists, like release radar playlists. Um, and the more you're listening, saving and listening on over the weekend, uh, the bigger chance we have of the algorithm picking us up and working for us and pushing us into other things. And... Spotify editors can take notice and possibly put it on the editorial playlist, which is huge. Um, we've been on a few of those for a while, and they just, they really do great things. Um, so I would love it if you if you do that. It only takes about a minute or so. Um, and uh, I think once you're in, it's it's a little simpler next time, but because uh, we're going to be doing this every time. But anyway, thank you all very much to everybody that's done that already and spreading the word and things like that. Um, we're going to come up with some kind of cool campaign to, to push the pre-save as well. So pay attention to that just to tell your friends or whatever. Um, we're really stoked. It's a Renegade featuring Ted Bound from Pacifier, good friend of mine. Uh, he laid down a really great verse. And my friend Matt Appleton from Real Big Fish did all the horns on it. And it's just, it's so good. So we're all excited. I hope you're excited. Uh, today on the pod, I've got my friend Brian Connor from a band called BC Villanova. Uh, they're from South Carolina, and I met them a little over a decade ago, uh, 2008, I think, at some festival. And the dude has an amazing voice. He can shred on guitar, um, and he's just a really nice guy. And we talked about, uh, you know, being a band in 2019 and especially being a rock band in 2019. 
um, and they were signed to a major label and then they were let go from that label so we talked about all that and um, he's just an all-around positive guy so uh, take a listen enjoy um, this is Brian Connor on uh, episode 70 of Tales from the Green Room Brian, what's going on, man? What's up, good sir? How goes it? It's great. It's great, man. Thanks for calling in. Yeah, I was just saying, I love the fact that you have a podcast, man. Like, I listen to podcasts more than I do even music these days. It's just, uh, it's great for the the long drives in the band van, you know what I mean? And, like, a lot of, I'm the driver always. So, like, a lot of times, like, my band members are sleeping even. So, it's just me, like, in the in the highway. So, I'm, like, podcasting up hard, hard so, like, I'm excited to learn that you had a podcast and, and very excited to be on the podcast, but definitely like something I'll look forward to listen to in the future, man. That's awesome. That's great, man. What, uh, what, what pods you into lately? Joe Rogan for sure. Everybody yeah. listen to Joe Rogan. You got to. For sure. You got to learn you about know? CBD and gut biome. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Joey Diaz is hilarious too. I don't know if you ever listen to him, but he has his own he podcast. like this over there and like he tells the stories are like this and like that's, Something about the, his voice, something about his stories, and just like it, just completely, it, it just encapsulates my attention span. I love it. Yeah, he's a super funny dude. I, I didn't realize he had a podcast. I, he's, he's on Joe Rogan a lot, but um, that's I'll, yeah. I have to check that out. Yeah, I mainly just YouTube it up, man. Like they, they pretty much have all the stuff. Is that what you do as well? You kind of do both. Uh, I'll check out like clips on YouTube from like Rogan, but um. Usually, like when I'm driving, I, I listen to. It's mostly when I'm driving, yeah, or working out or whatever. Yeah. Like I'll have, I'll throw the uh, throw it on and throw the phone in the locker, and I got the AirPods, you know, so I just go th- walk out through the gym and I get all the signal. But um, so yeah, I usually put on like Rogan or um, Gary V gets me fired up, um, and uh, the uh, Conan Conan has a great podcast. He's awesome. Did oh, you hear man. the Howard Stern interview with Conan O'Brien? No, it's I didn't. Probably like one of the best interviews I've ever heard. And uh, Conan's just a, a comedic genius, and it turns out he's just an overall genius too. But uh, and it was like really kind of dark. Like it explored the whole other aspect of his personality about like anxiety and depression, and uh, and writing for The Simpsons and writing for SNL and stuff like that. I mean, it was pretty fascinating. Like check it out. Uh, that Conan O'Brien Howard Stern interview is awesome. I will definitely check that out. I, I didn't realize that he had done that. Is that was that recent, or, or was that like an older one? That was on Howard. And I, like once again, I just saw a clip of it on YouTube, and I was trying to find the whole thing. That's the only thing that gets on the nerves. Like with the Joe Rogan thing, you can listen to it on YouTube for like two hours straight. But a lot of the times, you just find little clips of stuff that you're interested in on YouTube, and then you got to kind of track down the rest of it. Yeah, yeah, you got to like make your own playlist if you feel like doing that. But yeah, yeah. yeah for me, it's like, I, I love just, I'll put it on the phone and just go, you know, Conan to me is the best. He's like all of late night. He's the best. Like he just, when he's, and on his podcast, you can just hear how he just riffs. He just makes things up. Like just uh, right. Just pulls things out of his ass. It's, it's amazing. Um, really yeah. good improv. And uh, he's just funny. He just, uh, and he seems like an, yeah, I mean, I think mo- like, yeah, all, all people that write comedy, I imagine, are like naturally improvisationally funny, like just on the spot. 
But I think it takes that extra element to like come up with skits and write comedy. Like if you just had to sit down and write comedy skits, I mean, I'm sure it'd be a lot of fun, but that's probably a lot harder than people think, I would imagine. You know what I mean? Yeah. And especially uh, a show that's like night after night like that. That's a lot of comedy writing. So yeah, yeah. mad respect to those kind of guys. Were you guys, uh, well, not to say it couldn't happen, but I know Conan, he stepped down, right? Like, I know your dream is probably to have Bally who play on the Conan O'Brien show. But oh, that'd be now, great. is that even a possibility with him? Is I, he like? I think he's he he changed the format, and I think that the show's only like a half hour now. Um, and I think he can, yeah, I think he canceled musical guests, and he he does a monologue, but it's not as long. And then um, he'll just have like one guest come on. And uh, okay, but so no more musical guests, really? Yeah, I don't think so. Um, yeah, I was always like, I was always wanted to be on like the Tonight Show or something like that, or like SNL. Those are always the dreams for me. Like back in the day, it was like no I liked Leno. I, I like, I thought Letterman was great, but like I was more for whatever reason, I was in, more into like Leno's stuff. Were you ever um, inspired by performances that you saw on Saturday Night Live or something like that more than anything else? Like that's that's kind of what I felt like. I saw, um, of course, the Beastie Boys from like the nineties. That performance on Saturday Night Live, it just made me want to play music, period. And uh, there was a Fishbone one on Saturday Night Live, like two songs. They did like Sunless Saturday and something else. I don't know if you've ever seen that, but Angela Moore is the craziest performer I've ever seen in my freaking life. The dude will straight up like play tuba one second, throw the tuba across the stage, do a backflip, like grab my mic, like do the, the best kind of gospel inflection singing I've ever heard in my life, and then just... I don't know, just do another front flip and land on his knees or something, and then play a theremin. You know what I mean? It's like it's, it's freaking nuts, dude. But you guys ever played with him? Yeah, yeah, we um, played with him uh, in Gainesville at the High Dive um, uh, five or six That's years dope. ago. Yeah, I mean, yeah, great. Those guys are insane. Like, uh, they just know how to engage an audience and, and just turn it into a party for sure. It's like, you know. We play. I think we opened for them, so we didn't have to go on after, which would have been a disaster, I'm sure. <laughs> you know? No doubt, man. That's cool, man. That I've never played with them before, but uh, uh, me and Bobby that plays with me, the bass player in my band, he's like a big Fishbone fan. That was like one of the things that kind of solidified us from the beginning, like just talking about music we liked and stuff. And I was always a big Fishbone fan, so and he was too. But that that's dope, man. You guys play with all all sorts of cool bands like that. I've seen Fishbone. I saw them at the Music Farm in Charleston, and they killed it. Oh, and I actually saw them uh, in Columbia like years ago. But um, I don't know if they come through like the Carolinas or you know the the Southeast that much, really. Yeah, I don't ever see them on the road, to be honest. Huh? Yeah, yeah. they're from uh, they're from Cali, so I don't know. <clears throat> Uh, I, I never really see them like doing a lot of stuff, but I mean, I've seen them playing shows and stuff, but as far as like tours, like I never really hear about it. Um, and a lot of the times, like the bands, like the, the scene that I, that we're in, a lot of the same bands tour together and like they mix it up and, you know, it's all the same bands kind of touring every year. Um, and I've never mm-hmm. seen really Fishbone going out. I think maybe they're going out like slightly stupid or something like that. Yeah, that's actually the show I saw. Uh, Suddenly, stupid headline, and, and Fishbone opened up, and of course, I think it was sold out. It's in Charleston. Nice. Yeah, but that, so that so was, they, they that, killed it, man. Was that at the farm, or was that one of those? Yeah, Music Farm. Nice. Yeah, we um uh, a couple years back played Music Farm many times, many times. Good spot. Yeah, it's a cool spot. We it's funny like Charleston, such a gorgeous town too. 
just uh, right on the water and just bridges everywhere and um, interesting stuff to do. And like, uh, for, for whatever reason, like we haven't even had like our best shows there. Like sometimes the shows are just kind of like blah. It's really weird. Like we've played yeah. to sold out shows there and it goes okay, but it doesn't like rip. I, and I never, never understood that. But we'll go to like and it, Myrtle and Crush. Yeah. And even what do you mean the to, kids just don't get into it? Or what do you yeah, mean? Like our, yeah. They, it's weird. It's like they don't stand around. Being yeah. Cool the or energy's what? not as big and like the merch doesn't do as well. It's just interesting. We've never really done that great there, but, um, but we'll go to like we used to play in Colombia at like we would do those um what were those called uh, the five points like uh, mm-hmm. St. Patty St. Patty's Day festivals like they're it's like huge down there and we've done oh, a few, yeah. done a few of those and play with like the movement and um, pacifier and all these bands and uh, th- those were great you know. Yeah, they go good. The energy is a lot better when everybody's uh, been drinking all day, I suppose. But oh, I don't for know. Sure. <laughs> I, I know what you mean. I kind of I wonder about that sometimes. Like even in a packed house, like different it, different cities have different energies and stuff, and just different crowds. And I, I like you. Sometimes you see the younger kids going nuts. I mean, uh, not even sometimes. Like a lot of the times, you you see the kids going nuts still. But sometimes you get that like too cool for school crowd that you know. Yeah. They just don't want to give any love, man. They're there to be entertained, and yet they don't really want to get engaged with. And I don't know. It's just a bizarre thing. But in certain crowds, most of the time it's not an issue, but I have noticed that before. And and I'm just kind of wondering, like, does everybody face this throughout their career? Like, sometimes you just have the crowds that don't want to get into it. Or is it like a millennial thing? Or are they just, like, so fascinated by the lightning fast? Like, you can get on your cell phone and look at the most entertaining thing you've ever seen in your life in two seconds. So to see a live band perform, are they just not as impressed as they would have been, you know, 20 years ago or something like that? I don't know. You know what I mean? Interesting way to think about it, for sure. I, I, I don't know the answer. And I think, like, I've had this conversation before with other artists, um, and, like, we're, we've definitely felt, like, uh, underappreciated. Like, it's like you look at it, it's like they're not having a good time or something. Like, it's weird. Um, but then sometimes you'll have the best merch night ever. Like, you'll, you'll do a grand in merch, and it's like, wait a second, I thought you guys didn't like us. You know, it's, it's the weirdest yeah. thing. It's just people, sometimes people are like, new and they haven't seen you they don't know the songs they're just taking it in um there's those few that can just rage rage to anything um Mm -hmm. and just go with the music whatever but and then you got your fans of course but like yeah i don't know so yeah (laughs) i think as as bands and artists and performers like we want to see immediate response from the crowds because that's how we know that okay they're getting into it they're liking it feeling it whatever but i mean it's sometimes they're real. I've, I got a lot of friends that go to shows and they just sit there. They don't dance. They just sit there with their beer. They take a sip. You know what I mean? That's all they do. And, and after the show, they're, they're like, dude, that band killed it. Like, I love that. But that's just how some people enjoy a show, I guess, you know? Yeah. Not everybody's out there moshing and crowd surfing all the time, which right. is totally cool. Yeah. Just whatever you want to do. We I, have... I watched this uh, Jimi Hendrix performance um, from like the 60s or something like that. And he was just up there killing it, like doing his routine, uh, guitar behind the head, guitar on fire, like um, picking it with his teeth the whole night. And the crowd, nobody danced. They just sat there, like mouth agape, just looking in awe. And uh, it, it almost was, I mean, I'm sure they all loved it because they were, you know, it's Hendrix and it was that era. But it, it didn't, it wasn't like they were dancing and, and really even like going nuts or anything. And that's just kind of how it is sometimes when you're witnessing entertainment. 
people just respond in different ways, I suppose, you know? Yeah. Something like that I could see um, being uh, like a, just a mouth open, just like, what is he doing? Like, you know, and just focusing on it and not re- not showing any reaction. But inside you're like, this is amazing, you know? So I can see that. Yeah. Um, that's where it's like, it's definitely up to your band to like really work on the live show and try to have cool moments and, um, you know, I don't know, inspire that, that, I don't know, the explosion. Yeah, talk to the crowd and the, the crowd response. You guys are great at that. I tried, yeah. dude. There's nothing worse when you're like, what's going on? Put your hands up. And nobody puts their hands up. You're just like, okay, <laughs> no. I guess I'll just put my hands down. <laughs> yeah. There's this one part in our show that sometimes where we get this song called Hard to Be Around. It's a bit of a mid-tempo ballad, and we had a good amount of success with it on the radio a good bit and stuff like that. And, um, you know, but some people know it, some people don't still. And, like, when we play it in a big club or something like that, I'll tell the light guy to turn the lights down so it's all dark. And then I'm like, all right, everybody pull out your cell phone and then turn on your light on your cell phone and then wave it around from side to side. And it creates this, like, really beautiful just sea of, of lights. It's like fireflies or something like that to the crowd. And it's just like this real intimate moment between us as the band and the crowd. And um, and sometimes it works great. And then like my little funny line that I say is like, hey, it's better than a lighter because you don't have to worry about burning the person's hair in front of you. And everybody's like, ha, 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 you know, whatever. <laughs> and they, they do the phone thing. But like uh, we tried that um, in Myrtle Beach like not too long ago, man. And like these like young hipster dudes were just not having it. They like – just were, I mean, the funny thing was they were on their phone like the, all the whole night. But like when I tell them, "Hey, use your phone in a way that we can in, be engaged with each other and connect," like they didn't, they were too cool for school or something. You know what I mean? It just bothered me. I'm like, okay, whatever. And I even mentioned I called them out on the mic about it. Like I never do that, but I was like, okay, like listen, dude, you're not too cool to be in some crowd participation. Like that's why we're all here. Or we're here to have a good time. You know what I mean? But yeah. it's a rarity. Like you don't have to worry about that kind of thing. But I don't know. It does happen. It's just weird. No, you're right. You're right. We've, we've had people that I, I guess are there for our show and like they, they're even in the front row and they're just staring at us like, <laughs> like, like we're doing yeah. evil things, you know, like it's, I don't get it. Um, and it's like the row behind him is like raging and it's like, why don't you let them up here? You know, like, stop bumming me out. <laughs> yeah. Like, maybe they're enjoying it. Maybe that's just the way they enjoy music or shows. I don't know. But, um, yeah, it's definitely weird. We had these kids. We were on tour with less than, no, uh, Real Big Fish and Anti-Flag. And we were in uh, Montreal. And, wow, good bill. Interesting bill. Yeah, yeah. They they did. We did a whole tour. It was like seven weeks. And, I mean, it was solid every night. It was crazy. And there were a lot of Anti-Flag uh, uh, fans in the, in the crowd and um and it I guess I don't know sometimes I felt like we weren't punk enough you know we weren't heavy enough um but we always always do well with real big fish crowds but I guess the anti flag crowds were a little bit harder and um so we had like there were these couple kids in the front row and I was already feeling depressed about myself there's this whole I'm not even gonna go into it but like, um just like yeah these these kids just like just looking at us like we're it's the dumbest thing they've ever seen and like calling us names <laughs> to each other. I could just see it. And I was just like, okay, just so That's weird. just the risk you run with that kind of diverse of a bill, which yeah. I love stuff like that. Cause we're kind of in that same boat. Like you guys probably are tend to be a little bit more on the reggae side than us, even though we have a few kind of reggae style songs too. 
but you guys play punk, you play rock. You're not easily, you know, like couldn't dry into one genre. I don't think either, you know, so that, that's cool. Cause as an artist and as an open mind, like free thinker, like, Oh man, you could play with a hip hop band. You could play with a metal band. You can play with a punk band, whatever. But yeah, I, I think the diehard metal fans are going to look at you and be like, who the hell is this? And you know what I mean? And, and the diehard punkers are going to be like, who the hell is this? I, but the, the open-minded people, like, they just like good music. They don't care. It's like whatever. But some people are, are just really stuck to one genre, man, and they won't let it go. Like, that's all they want to listen to, which is fine. But I certainly can relate to what you're talking about, you know? Yeah. I think uh, a lot of kids are like that. You know, they're, they're very stuck on the one thing, and they're not really open to anything else. Um, but as you get older, you sort of open up. But, I mean, it's weird. It's I say that, but it's like we just – we definitely can affect different people and different different walks of life. That there's no like one style of fan really for us, and um, we'll get the metal guys and we'll get the people that just listen to you know hip hop or, or whatever. It, it I don't know. It, it, it's not every time, but it's it definitely happens. Um, the most diverse yeah, bill we've same. ever done. I'll, I think this is the one that sticks out the most. We opened for Snoop Dogg a few years ago. Nice. And it's so we were yeah. Oh, it's so funny. Like we got the offer, we're just like, "Hey, um, you guys going to be in?" Uh, we were we were playing at Ziggy's in Wilmington, and the the Ziggy's in Winston Salem is run by the same people. And they're like, "Hey, since you guys are in town, you have off the next day. Do you want to come play with Snoop Dogg?" And we were like, "Uh, yeah." Like we weren't not going to do it. Like I knew that yeah. there was a very good chance that we were going to be like booed off stage or like they're going to hate it or whatever. Um, but. We were like, we weren't not going to do that. So we, we went and did it and it was like cold and it was rainy and um, it was outside and uh, it was actually, it was actually pretty good. Like it's on YouTube. Somebody videoed it, but like right before we went on um, the MC, like it was all hip hop up to that point. Right. And the MC's like, all right, next coming up to the stage, we got Ballyhoo. And the guy's like, and I could hear, hear like, he was like, "What? What is this? What is it?" You know, look to, to the guy next to him, and he's like, "Oh yeah, it's this rock band." He goes in the mic. He's like, "It's a rock band." He said, "This ain't no fucking rock show." Anyway, give it up for oh, Ballyhoo. I was like, "Oh fuck!" <laughs> nice intro. Yeah, dude. Wow. So it was like the worst intro ever, and it already was. We were already feeling weird about it, and then he just like, you know, just ripped it out from under us even more. And I don't know. We went up there, and it was it was pretty good. People seemed to be into it, you know. Um, definitely For sure yeah yeah the most diverse crowd I've ever played to um, well that demographic that would go see a Snoop Dogg show particularly nowadays is young college kids I mean true. they're into everything they're not just hip hop so, I mean, I, that totally makes sense why they would want you guys to do it and I can totally I mean I would go see you guys in Valley Who that, that's a good bill to me but uh, that yeah man, I mean I can see that being kind of awkward as well yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he's got a full band and stuff, right? Is he? Is it just a DJ or? Uh, no, it was just a DJ that night. Oh, okay. Yeah, that that would have been cool. It was like you know, if it was like a backup band and stuff, it kind of makes it a little more lean to what we're doing, you know. But um, we we knew we were like whatever. He, he's gonna come out and play the jams. Everybody's gonna be. They're gonna forget all about us anyway. It doesn't matter, <laughs> you know. So. Did you guys smoke weed with him? Uh, no, like we tried, but like he got there like forty five <laughs> minutes late, and like. He wasn't like in, in the trailer back there until like, I don't know. I think he, he got there like 45 minutes late and he like waited like another like half hour to even go on um, in his trailer. And we, we saw, he like walked right by us, but like he had his security and like 
he just he went in the trailer. We're just like, I'm oh, not even gonna bother, you know. <laughs> like, like a butt bug. That's probably in every city he goes. There's probably like some kids that their lifelong goal is to like smoke weed with him. Like he probably doesn't have to ever bring his own weed. I'm sure he does, but you know, that that's kind of like an honor in people's lives. Like, oh my god, dude, I smoke weed with with Snoop Dogg. Yeah, but I would be. Uh, I would definitely do it. Like I don't really smoke weed that much. Me neither. But. I would do it for sure with Snoop. I mean, there's no way you can turn that down, but I would be kind of worried. You know what I mean? Like, that stuff has to be, like, super potent. And um, I have, like, anxiety sometimes, man. Like, I'll smoke and, and just trip out. Like, that's why I don't do it a lot, you know, try to keep a clean mind. I have no problem with it or anything like that, but just for me personally, like, I can't get into it, like, too hard. But certain, like, certain situations like that, like, if you see Willie Nelson or something like that and he wants to, you know, smoke one, you're not going to say no. And, and Snoop Dogg is another one of those, iconic characters like that you know yeah you're gonna smoke weed with those guys i smoked with uh with be real and some of the cypress hill hill guys a few years back that that's exactly who i was thinking would be like my third man that's funny dude that's how was that i mean it was cool it was like the 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 green room was just it was just a thick cloud of smoke the entire night um and like they were just you know lighting blunts with blunts it was just like they would like light it pass it light another one like that kind of shit so i just jumped in the circle <laughs> he's speaking of podcasts he's got one too i believe and uh it's the, the smoke high joe rogan's actually been on there and uh it's really good man and they just I, they do what you're talking about but they film the whole thing and talk about stuff like that's his new show i think you know that's cool yeah so, i would yeah. like to get to a point where i'm where i'm doing video stuff like <clears throat> i haven't figured out how, Dude, quite should, how that'd be awesome. yeah yeah i would love to be, i think it'd be more entertaining with like you know, the guests right here with me, but, um, yeah, I've definitely do thought it about your, that. Well, yeah, well, you can do it at your house or, um, I mean, have it set up in you guys' van and then when you guys are on tour, when you're not playing, you know, like that'd be a cool way to, to get all sorts of guests. Next time you play with anti-flag or freaking fishbone or something, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, for sure. Have some of those guys on your podcast. That'd be dope, dude. I know. Yeah. I, I try to like, I take all my gear with me when I go on tours, but, um, it's honestly, it's like really tough to find quiet spaces and like yeah. the, the time, like it, the, the time just gets away from you like so quickly on the road. Like it's the same, it's like groundhog day every day, but like, yeah. So everything happens around the same time every day. Like we get there, you know, three, four o'clock and then we load in, we sound check you know, then there's like two hours till doors, roughly sometimes an hour, you know, and everybody goes, get, goes and gets food, you know, and, and then, and then trying to get like another band, like, you know, that's not in my van, like to, to coordinate it's, it's tough, you know, and then, and then finding a quiet place and things. It's just, so the pod, podcast doesn't happen as much as I'd like it to when we're on the road. It's like sucks. I'll do, I'll get like one done out of like a six week tour, you know? Yeah, so it's a lot of the time it's just traveling. Period. You know? Yeah, traveling. There's road noise. You can't really do it. So like, <clears throat> when I'm home, I try to crank out as many as I can. You know, and then sometimes I'll do like, I'll I'll do a few before we leave so I can have them scheduled to go up. You know, stuff like that. But, um, but yeah, yeah, no doubt, man. Yeah, just trying to you know feed the baby birds. Yeah, that's awesome, man. That's a good way to keep producing content, uh, content and staying creative. Like I love that stuff for sure. We try to do a similar thing with videos and stuff just updates about the road but that's, that's super cool the podcast thing is awesome uh, if you ever go to uh next time you guys play at the real in wilmington north carolina which we played a cool show with you guys there uh, a couple months back or whatever they do uh, they got this little back green room man it's pretty cool for that kind of thing i mean you may be able to hear some some stuff in the background possibly because it is 
like we did one during uh, another band snapshot. We played the um, we played with you guys in Bump and Uglies there, I think, and we did uh, like a little. Uh, the Kaya Media Group is shout out to them. They're from Wilmington, North Carolina, and they do like a little video series with bands. Have you guys ever done their show, Bridging the Gap? Yeah, we just did it uh, the last time we were there. Um, okay, last, nice. last month, yeah. I think. It just went up last week. I will go check that out. I haven't seen you guys yet. So, yeah, yeah that's a cool little show. I like what they're doing. <clears throat> yeah, they're doing a great job with that. Um, so, we uh, let's, let's go back for a second. Um, we met each other uh, in 2008, I think. And it That's was at right. that Oyster Festival in like Spartanburg or something. Yeah, maybe stuff. It was outside and like it was really uh, underattended. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it was like a few other bands. And then like you guys came on after us. And you were like the big draw. You guys were like, you had all your friends come out and everything. Um, and I remember like, I don't know if we, I haven't met before the set or, I think we had to leave during your set like halfway through because we had to get back because, you know, we were like, you know, eight or nine hours from home or some shit. But um, like, uh, I, I caught like a good half of the set and I remember thinking like, holy shit, this guy can sing his ass off and he can play the shit out of the guitar. Well, thank you, sir. Yeah, likewise. Man. Yeah, man. Um, so tell, yeah. me, tell me about when the band. When I first met you, I remember we took a shot of whiskey, and like that was like my first impression of you. Like I, I, I felt the same way. Like I want to talk to you anyway, and then like you come up with whiskey, and I'm like, oh, what's up, dude? Like I think we took a shot, we talked briefly, then I had to get on stage, and then I didn't see you after because you guys had to split or something like that. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That <laughs> sounds about right. That's funny, man. <clears throat> um, yeah, yeah. So uh, tell me about the band, Villanova. Like, when did you guys start? Like, how did it all happen? We started around, right around then, and um, we have been on a pretty insane roller coaster, as most bands have. And uh, we recorded some stuff in Atlanta, Georgia, with Rick Beato, and, and that, those particular songs made it onto the radio in a few markets in the southeast. And then one market got played over like a thousand times in one year. So we started getting some record label attention. And um, did, did like a few showcases, uh, one for uh, Atlantic Records, and then we did one for Universal Republic, and then we ended up getting a record deal with Universal Republic in like 2011 or something like that. And, um, and that was pretty, it was a crazy time, it was an awesome time. Got flown out to New York and did a little showcase in like their upstairs room, like, like 30 music executives out there and everything, like watching our every move, and I was like playing acoustic guitar and there was like some drum kit there provided and we just played like a few of our songs, or whatever, and, and got a record deal from that experience. It was awesome. But the weird thing was the band's called Villanova and, and I named that after speaking of Jimi Hendrix. Uh, that's came from a Jimi Hendrix song. I was like very influenced by Jimi Hendrix growing up. And um, I was like a big thing of the day when we were coming up was like, name your band after a song of a band that, that, that you admire. For example, like, um, there's a lot of Grateful Dead bands called like Casey Jones or, or whatever, Trucking or something like that. You know what I mean? And um, it, like, so we were going to name our band after a Jimi Hendrix song, but we don't want to call it like Fire or Manic Depression or, you know, Hey Joe or something like that. Something too obvious. So we were kind of looking for like a deep cut. And so there's this one song called Villanova Junction off of Jimi Hendrix's Woodstock album. And anyway, so the name of the band came from that. 
So that's where that's where Villanova came from. It came from a Jimi Hendrix song. I probably could have just said it came from a Jimi Hendrix song. You probably didn't need all that additional information. No, that was great. But anyway, <laughs> that's cool though. But so so that's where it came from, and it has nothing to do with the college or anything like that. We get asked that all the time, and um and so when we got the record deal, they were like, okay, well that's the name of the college. Their legal department had a conversation with me and were like, we're, that's a potential for like a lawsuit. You know, there's some liability issues there. We can't allow you guys to use that name and, and spend this money on you to make a record. So you're going to have to change the name. So um, we ended up calling it Weaving the Fate for a few that. years. I remember that. So we had this weird period of time where we weren't Villanova anymore. We were Weaving the Fate. And we're still on touch tunes all across the country to this day as Weaving the Fate. Like if you go type it in, like our, our EP is on there and like, the Waffle Houses around the United States, you know what I mean? And, <laughs> and just random clubs and stuff, which is cool. It was amazing. Yeah. Um, and that was a cool experience and everything, but this, the name Weaving the Fate had its issues also. We, it was like WTF for short, which we kind of thought was clever, you know? <laughs> and uh, But that kind of proved to be like a little problematic because like WTF's playing tonight, and everybody's like, what do you mean what the fuck is playing tonight? What are we talking about, you know? And also, everybody called us Weeping the Fate, like F-A-I-T-H, you know mm, what I mean? Yeah. And, um, and everybody thought we were a Christian band, like everybody thought we were this diehard Christian band, so it, it just, it, it, you could never, in a crowded room of people, like, dude, your band's out, bro, what's your name? Well, thanks, man, we're Weaving the Fate. They're like, oh, Weaving the Fate? They're like, nah, <laughs> wait, we, waving, they're like, Waving the Feet? What? Crossweave? Like, what are you talking about? Like, it's got all convoluted, and nobody could ever say our band name, so... Um, a few years go by, we, we had a, a song play on a K rock in Los Angeles and had some songs playing, um, overseas and everything like that. Thanks to universal Republic. And it was, it was a beautiful time period. Like got to meet all my favorite rock stars, got to travel around and play these amazing shows and stuff like that. Um, but it just, the label wasn't really putting that much effort into it. Here's something I learned about record labels, by the way, to any uh, upcoming artists and that kind of thing. When you get a record label, you're still on your own. Like, they will provide you some money and some resources every now and then upon request, but it's really DIY still. Like, they, they really are just kind of watching you to see what you're going to do. I didn't know that at the time. I was like, oh, man, they're going to book us a tour. Like, we booked all our own tours. You know what I mean? Like, we did everything ourselves still. And um, anyway, that kind of led to the parting ways with the, the label stuff. So, Anyway, uh, it was a good experience, so I wouldn't trade it, but, you know, it, it did end, and when it did, um, we were kind of stuck with this band name. We were weaving the fate, and, like, you know, we hadn't really been on tour that long as that name. We played a lot of really cool shows with a lot of big bands and stuff like that, and we have enough for Corn, and we have enough for Evanescence on a few shows, and we played Carolina Rebellion with a bunch of bands, and uh, we played this thing. And um, actually with the Dirty Heads and New York and stuff. So it was a cool experience. But when you're stuck with that band name and you've been touring for like five or six years under another name, it got kind of weird. So we tried Weaving the Fate uh, Independent for a few years. And then we said, like, look, man, why don't we just go back to Villanova? There's a lot of people, particularly from the southeast on the markets that we used to play, that still know us as that. Like, why don't we just go back to that? It's way easier to say. You say Villanova once, people got it. They don't try to call you like waving the feet or anything like that. You know what I mean? So eventually we, we thought that was the 
the way to go. So um, that's what we did. We went back to Villanova, and um, and so that's kind of like the, the brief history of the crazy band name thing. So now we're back to Villanova, and then um, we released a record under the name Villanova again once we returned to it. And then now I've got a brand new album out. It's it's called it's what the name I go by when I play music is BC Villanova, and my name is Brian Connor. But not a lot of people call me Brian Connor because we hang out with so many Brian's. You know what I mean? Just Bobby started calling me BC, and so it kind of stuck. Like everybody's calling me BC, and people are always like, "What does BC stand for?" And I just tell them like "Before Christ" or "Blue Cheese" or something like that to make <laughs> something up. But it's you know Brian Connor. BC, and then I go by BC Villanova. So the new album that I just put out is uh, it's called it's under the name BC Villanova, and the record's called Giant Light. And it, it's just a record that kind of encapsulates that whole time period of like it's got some of our older stuff on it, like reimagined and stripped down this acoustic fashion, and it's got some of the stuff from the Weaving the Fate period of time that I did, like just on piano, and then it's got some brand brand new songs on it. Uh, so, and one of them is that soda pop song, which I appreciate you including on the podcast, sir. Dude, you that know? song is great. It's like, it, I don't know, just really fucking good. <laughs> well, I appreciate it, man. Thank you so much. Okay. And, um, so yeah, that one's on there and we got a video for that that we just put out. And, uh, it's, it's, it's fun. It's kind of like this, the last record it's put out represents that whole kind of like melancholy phase of songwriting that I do sometimes and some mid-tempo ballads. And there's a little, little bit of upbeat stuff on there, but it's kind of like just me and a piano and some cellos and acoustic guitars and that whole thing. I just wanted to get that out of my system because I do that from time to time. Like I just stick to a certain style or a certain mode or whatever. And uh, I think the next one that we do, which is coming up pretty soon, is going to be like pretty much all rock. Maybe with like a little bit of reggae and funk, but primarily just a pretty much a rock record, you know? Yeah. Now for the section where we pay the bills. And now back to the podcast. No, do do what you feel. You know, it's like I've come to come to realize that like just your fans are gonna like love what you're doing as long as it's honest. You know, and it doesn't have I to hope be. So, yeah. Everybody should grow. I, I definitely agree. Everybody should grow and try new things. Um, but I think your fans fell in love with you because you know, you're writing the stuff that you wanted to write and it was real. And, um, you know, that, that's just how I kind of approach it. Just make it, uh, whenever we write, that's what it's all about for sure. Yeah. It's exactly what you just said. You know, like when somebody comes up to you and they're like, Hey, I want to show you a video of something real quick. And you're like, okay, sure. And they shoot like a video of their son who has like autism and they're like, you're, he sings your song, but this is the only thing he'll sing or something like that. I mean, that really gives you, a sense of value, to be honest, like that, that kind of, those kind of moments. And sometimes those are those same nights, what we were talking about earlier, where it seemed like nobody gave a shit, you know, or whatever. And then somebody will be like, Hey man, like my dad passed away and your song really made me go through that time or, you know, get through that, uh, terrible situation or something like that, man. With that kind of stuff happens to us all the time. And, um, that like in those kind of scenarios, if there's like 10 people in the crowd, even like, that was really what like pushed you through. You realize that like, okay, like whatever I'm doing, something I'm doing is resonating with people in a positive way. So there's no way I'm going to stop doing it just because you know, yeah, it, it maybe appears that some people aren't feeling it or something like that. You know what I mean? Like it just kind of brings a lot of value to what you do, and that's really ultimately the most important thing is if you can like uplift 
the human spirit. I think that's what we're all in it for, you know, other than it's just fun and shit to play music. It's, it's great. But, uh, the ultimate, like the higher end job that we also have is like to entertain and to uplift and that whole thing. And like, when you can realize that you're doing that, it, it just kind of makes you be like, all right, man, let's keep going. This, this is what we're here to do. Period. Let's roll. You know? Yeah. Yeah, totally, man. <clears throat> I think it's, it's definitely appreciated. Like if you, if you try to please everybody, you please no one kind of thing. Yeah. Well said, you know, it's like, you can't sit there and worry about like, Oh, are they going to like this? And for me, like even, uh, with our new record detonate, that's still going right now, we put out in September. Um, like it was one of the most well-received records we'd ever done. Like the fans just seemed to be really connecting with it. Um, because of how heavy it is and like how heavy it is with, you know, subject matter, like lyrically. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't always want to write stuff like that. I don't always want to be like, you know, like, cause that, it takes you to dark places and I don't want to keep writing. For, like I like to write about a lot of different things and um, you know, there's definitely going to be like other songs like walk away is like our biggest song ever. And it's like a poppy reggae song, like, you know, about, breaking up but it's got this like happy spin on it like kind of thing like that so there's going to be that my drummer was too. just talking about that song two days ago <laughs> he was like I, he, he rocks you guys shirt all the time man it's like a tank top and uh, he was just talking about that song i promise that's crazy <laughs> nice yeah so it's like i you know the next one like i'm thinking about like oh my god like we've recorded some songs already and i'm like it's not detonate though like it's not like it's not gonna be as good they're not gonna like it and like I get wrapped up in that and I got to sit there and I got to tell myself like, just, just do what you do. Don't worry about, you know, how it's going to be received. Just do the best you can. And, you know, I obsess over every song. I sit there and work on them forever. And it's hard to like finally commit and say it's done. But, um, it's, you know, you just do what you do. And, you know, I think the fans will appreciate it. And maybe they won't like it as much as they liked Detonate. They're still going to like it, but maybe it won't be their favorite. And that kind of that's what gets stuck to me. Like, I want it to be their favorite. All the, I want the new shit to just every time, you know. But you can't really worry yeah. about it. But like, I'm the exact same way. I know exactly what you're talking about. A song like 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 this. Just, I don't know. Just I like how yeah. simple and stripped down it is. Just the 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 kick and the snare, and then like. The piano and the acoustic, and then the, the hook just explodes right here. <laughs> we gotta wait for the big falsetto, though. Like, how do you not love that? Like, I just, I think that's so great. Well, the thing is, uh, that's a fun one to play. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure, man. It's a, it's a yeah, it, uh, Young Sean uh, drums with that and um, had my friend play cello on that. I love the cello, by the way. Like, it's, it, for us, it's never been an instrument that we could really justify having a cello player because it's not in every song. Like, if we could find a cello player that also played organ, piano, guitar, and could also sing, like I'd hire him in like two seconds, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. But uh, I love cello, man. It's like the, the one instrument that I don't play that I freaking love. And um, we, my friend Buffy Jacobs, she plays in a band called the Polyphonic Spree, and she's on tour with uh, the Hamilton Broadway production right now playing cello. But, dude, she's like a straight badass. 
just came and played cello on that. So, but uh, man, it was fun, man. I play piano, and uh, that's like my second instrument. I love piano, and uh, we had like, this giant Steinway grand piano at the studio, and I got to play that thing, man. That thing just like plays itself. It just smells good. Like, have you ever come across <laughs> yeah. an acoustic piano that just smells like yeah, the dude. past? Just yeah. smells dusty or something. Yeah. <laughs> I know. It smells it's like the Titanic amazing. in here. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's it. Yeah. But, I know. It's, yeah, man. It's, it's, I love piano. It kind of a couple of those elements in it. Yeah. Cello is an underrated instrument, just like the tambourine is an underrated instrument, dude. Tambourine is dope, man. It took me, I was like, not cool with tambourine for years i thought it was a girly instrument and um my uh, my friend les all who produces he he got me into it man it, it really beefs up your sound like when you attach to a snare or even like a uh, hi-hat on you know even like digitally or, or stack it on your record dude the tam I'm a tambourine fan all the way nowadays you know dude, i put tambourine on everything that i can like if it feels any bit like okay the groove needs to be like accented here dude I just I grab the tambourine I sit there I got I got a beer I just do like several takes just slamming it just ch-ch-ch. and like you got to make sure it's right on with the snare it's got to be right on the snare oh yeah that tambourine clap you know like match it up with the snare perfect yeah and like I love it it's like you can either do it all the way through or like you wait till the chorus comes in but like as soon as it kicks in it's just the groove just just levels up for sure. Big fan. Yeah, man. It took me a while to realize that, but uh, I, I'm in full agreement, agreement with the uh, tambourine goodness for sure. <laughs> um, so, uh, what uh, when you were developing your voice, um, who were your influences? Who were you into? My biggest influence, I had a big brother named Chris Connor. He passed away like 11 years ago now. Oh, sorry but uh, just growing up, man, he, he was like 10 years older than me, and he was in bands and stuff. Like, he taught me how to play. Uh, like a Metallica song on the acoustic guitar when I was like in third grade or something. You know what I mean? So yeah. just to give you an example, I mean, he's he just like the ultimate big brother. I like, totally looked up to him and everything. And uh, he, he was really like my main influence. And other than that, man, like I love all sorts of people. I love like Chris Robinson from the Black Crows. And I love Otis Redding. A lot of Motown singers. And I love a lot of metal singers. I love Jonathan Davis from Corn. I just think he's just the weirdest, freakiest, lovable voice of all time. And I love Randy Blythe from Lamb of God. Like, I don't know, I mean, like Bradley Noel, when that came out, when Sublime hit, I mean, I think we all probably, anybody that's involved in reggae at all, could probably say, like, that explosion in the with the 90s or whatever with uh, with Bradley, what he did, like that. I mean, I probably learned, like, every single Sublime song off the first two records. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. in middle school, just with acoustic guitar. Like, we, me and my friends would sit around. Like, we were first starting to drink and experiment with like, smoking pot and stuff. Like, We'd sit around with acoustic guitar and play Sublime songs. Like, that was, like, huge, you know? I mean, everybody in my school knew, like, every Sublime song. So that was definitely uh, something, you know, a big influence, Bradley Noel. Kurt Cobain, you know? Yeah. What about what about you? Are you uh, obviously, like, Sublime fan? Yeah, I mean, for me, like, I liked a lot of voices, but definitely, like, I remember I wanted to I wanted to be Billy Joe Armstrong when I was a kid, so I was like, "Oh yeah, me too." I, I forget about Green Day for <laughs> who, sure. Who yeah. fucking didn't? But um, like, so <clears throat> he kind of had this this squawk, this kind of snotty, kind of snarly squawk to him, and um, mm-hmm. I would sing like that. But then once we, I don't know, I started writing more songs, especially after the first record, I was writing more songs, and this is right around, you know, two thousand when that first record came out, and then. 
the rest of the time is I was really, I started getting into, um, actually, so I was already into sublime. I was a huge, like I, I wore out 40 ounces of freedom. Like it was, yeah. you know, just scratched up and rubbed off and all that. Like, and same thing with the self-titled great. So I would try to sing like him. And then I was a fan of incubus, but I wasn't like a super fan yet. And like, I, a friend of mine, uh, she used to work at a radio station up here and she had tickets to see Incubus uh, at the Baltimore Arena. And I was like, oh yeah, cool, I'll go see that. And it was like, I was just in love from there. I, they played like <laughs> yeah. two and a half hours and like, I was just like, oh my God. Like, like, and one of the best singers in rock, easily. Hands Brandon down. Boyd is amazing, you know? man. So like, yeah, that was like 2002, I think. And um, so like, they played all the shit, all the big songs, and then they played all these deep cuts from from the other records. And like, they're I think they were only up to Morning View at that time, so um, just a few records worth of stuff. But like, all these songs I hadn't heard, but I thought were great. So I went like the next day and bought, you know, um, Morning View, and I, I think I already had um, Make Yourself, but I started listening to that more, and like, oh my god, just so I, basically, like, I kind of wanted. I explained it as like, I wanted this sort of soulful, I don't know, sound of like Brad Noel, especially like he gets this like breakup, like in his, yeah, uh, sometimes, yeah, like, yeah, and it sounds so, so good. And like, and then like the sort of like sweetness and airiness of uh, Brandon Boyd kind of like put those two together. So I would listen to those records like back and forth. I remember like cranking, Morning View and um, Make Yourself and then the, the self-titled and 40 Ounce of Freedom just back to back in the car. Anytime I was driving, I'd crank it and I'd sing and I'd try to match every note. And that's how I kind of developed the voice to sort of what people hear now. Very nice, man. I, I've had a similar experience uh, with Incubus too, man. That's another one I kind of didn't think about. But another thing, um, that's kind of what made me realize like, okay, I could be in a band that plays a, a variety of styles. Like we don't have to be punk all the way through all the time. Like you got like in terms of bands, like probably Three Eleven and Incubus and even the Beastie Boys realizing that not to say we do this, but you can rap for some of your songs. Some of your songs could be an instrumental jazz song, and then you can play a punk song next. You know what I mean? I was like, holy shit! Like that's awesome. And and Ben Harper too. That's another one that so eclectic man. Like goes from playing like a lap steel kind of Washburn almost country ballad to a reggae song to a funk song and. Um, you got to be, I guess, careful with the, that kind of uh, genre mixing up because I don't know. I guess you don't have to be careful with it. Do whatever you want to do. But there's some bands that can get away with it. And the bands we were just talking about, like, I feel like that's really what inspired me to, to play and, and just feel comfortable trying out different stuff, experimenting and, and, you know, different genres and stuff. And it seems to me like you're probably influenced in that same way, like the Incubuses, the 311s, the Beastie Boys, you know, Fishbone and. And all those kind of bands, man. Like even today, like Twenty One Pilots, like bands like that, you can kind of see are influenced by like a, a lot of stuff, and they're trying a lot of stuff, which I love. You know, mm-hmm. I think it's I think it depends on what your goals are. Really, it's like it's like do whatever you want. I mean, look, ha- have twelve songs on a record, and each song be a completely different genre. That's I mean, that's what Bruno Mars does. But like, I mean, it's all pop music at the end of the day. But for him, but mm-hmm. he'll do reggae and he'll do funk and he'll like. Like there was, there's songs that like sound like uh, the police, 
And the next song will be mm-hmm. a, sound, a song that sounds like a James Brown song. And then there's like a song that sounds like it's just this like heavy, like roots reggae song. So, it, you know, in the pop world, that can kind of, it's all about singles, you know, but like even a collection, even an album is like a basically a collection of singles, you know? Um, yeah. But like for bands like us, it's like, you definitely don't want to get caught in like an identity crisis. And I feel like yeah. we, we have had that happen in the past. Like our first few records, it was, there was sort of all over the place. Like I, if, I would definitely, if I could, I would go back and like change some of these track lists and like, you don't have to put, you know, 15 or 17 songs on a record just because yeah. it's a bunch of songs. Maybe streamline it to, to fit it together a little bit more cohesively possibly. Or yeah. Focus the sound maybe or whatever. But, um, and that's what our stuff's been a lot recently. Um, there's songs that we recorded for girls that, uh, we didn't use because they were like too heavy and ended up using one of them on the new record, the detonate, you know what I mean? So it's like, you don't necessarily, mm-hmm. just cause you record it doesn't mean you have to release it. Like it could be a B side or you can say, you know what, I'm going to record this later or, or use it for something else. Um, because it just didn't fit. But, uh, so I think it's, I think it's rad to be able to take something from your influences, something from all of your different influences, even, even if they're different styles. Um, and combine it into something, whatever your sound might be. And we've we've definitely made an okay living off of that so far. Um, but for the most part, we try to keep it kind of focused. Like, there's songs that I'm writing now that, like, are not going to be able to go on a Ballyhoo record. Like, it's just, they're too, I don't know, different. There's a lot of beats and just difference. I don't know. It's just, it just, I don't yeah. think it would work. But, um, is it fair to say that the majority of your audience is a Reiki audience? Is that pretty um, much the deal? I'd say no. I'd say like because we're not like a reggae band. Like there's we're like a I mean rock. I don't know. You can call it reggae rock, reggae or reggae rock, like a or California like roots rock, rock hybridish. Yeah, like kind of like it's interesting. Like we, I, I play a lot of. I love like it's like pop punk and reggae sort of coming together, and then sort of mm-hmm. like a and then kind of whatever happens with that. Like there's some ska songs. There's some punk there's some reggae there's sort of all that but like to call us a reggae band is like i feel like it's an, in, an insult to like the real reggae bands like steel pulse and like those guys and like i guess and, and even like the california bands like um american reggae is um some of it sounds pretty authentic though like to the jamaican stuff and um you got like the sojas of the world and then yeah like you, know, you got like slightly stupid kind of completely different yeah but, I, I, you know stupid's more like more of like a jam band these days, it seems like they, they mm-hmm. do like they, their, their audience is, their audience is really diverse and, um, they can, they can play like anywhere, like any festival. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, and then like a guy like stick figure, um, his stuff, he's been playing the same shit since day one. As far as I remember, like he's been doing this. He just, he just caught this wave and he just soared to the top, man. He was, he was just keeps cranking out those roots, those dub roots, reggae songs. And, mm-hmm. uh, uh, stick figure. Oh, oh yeah, stick figure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah um, and uh, he's really great at what he does. And then there's like Revolution, who's like, mm-hmm. they're like, it's it, it's like roots reggae, but like kind of pop with the way he sings and like his melodies and stuff, um, mm-hmm. real catchy stuff. But then they get funky and like they have a good like fun live show too. Like at the horn section and all that. Like, I, you know, everybody's got this different flavor. Um, about it and for us it's like we don't like i'm hoping that 
like we're gonna do some shows with uh, Revolution this summer, and I'm hoping that their fans will dig it. Like he sang on a song with us, and it's it's one of our bigger songs and all that, and people dig it. And um, I hope that his his crowd like will appreciate what we're doing because like <clears throat> our reggae is not sure. like theirs. It's just there's something different about it. It's like kind of more uppity and more I don't know poppy and more rock oriented. And yeah, um, like man, my brother plays real heavy on the drums, and like you know it's just different. So I'm hoping that they'll be open and they'll, they'll take us with loving arms. <laughs> you know? um, no doubt, man. Well, to me, that's what keeps it interesting. Like I love reggae music, but I can't these days probably listen to like a 13 song album of straight reggae back to back. I mean, I'm, I'm going to come back to it and, and I love that stuff, but I like to mix it up, man. That's why I like, you know, like if you listen to a 311 record, you really don't get bored, you know what I mean? Or an Incubus record like that. Like you don't ever get bored or Ben Harper or something like that. Or you guys same, same way, you know? And that's a, uh, that's what we kind of do, and it's a double-edged sword, like you were saying a little bit, because on the one side, you don't have this streamlined sound, so you, you can't like play with strictly whatever kind of genre that only does that. But and um, the, the good thing about it is, is you can mix it up, and it's like we played some great shows with you guys. We played with the movement, like, uh, you know, uh, Dirty Heads, like that kind of reggae thing, but then we played with some like heavier bands. We're, we're about to do some shows with Trapped who have no reggae in them at all. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, um, and that kind of thing. So it, it's awesome as an artist because you get to play with like all these different bands and different styles and as you said, different flavors and everything. And I love that. But yeah, man, it's just, what do you do? And you just do what you want, I guess. And hopefully it sticks. And if it doesn't, well, you tried your best and you were true to yourself, I suppose, you know? Yeah, yeah. And like I said, I think it goes back to, it really depends on what your goals are. Like if your goals are to be, you know, uh, to strive to be on the radio, then you need to really seriously think about what your next move is. Like, you know, like you need to write songs for the radio, <laughs> like, yeah. you know, but if, which today is a lot different than, you know, even like five years ago, it's like basically I have to have a, a gang vocal on every song and maybe just a tram, a tambourine or something. Yeah. <laughs> like just, you can stomp like an echoey tambourine, acoustic guitar or something. Yeah. Stomp and then like throw a bunch of reverb on it and uh, call it a day. Pretty much. It all has to sound like pumped up kicks. Like every song <laughs> yeah. is like, yeah. oh, the other kids with Like if you got that melody and a lot of reverb and, and like six of your friends are singing the exact same thing, like you might be able to be on the radio these days. But. <laughs> we, we sound like grumpy old men right now. <laughs> no. These kids and their music. These kids. It used to be so yeah, much more real. Out there. Yeah. No, exactly. man. It's like, I, I definitely appreciate that. Some of that new stuff, 21 Pilots is really good and, and Foster the People is they're really dope, good. They're dope, man. They're, they're super dope. Yeah. yeah. I still tend to find uh, new artists that I'm into. Not as many, but because like, I still love a lot of the bands I grew up with. But um, Panic at the Disco is amazing. We, we played a show with them and I didn't get to meet them. They kind of like stayed on their bus the whole time or whatever, but um, it just blew me away, man. That dude's a voice and the whole show, he did like a backflip off the drum riser. And he played Bohemian Rhapsody, like, note for note. I mean, it was insane. Like, we played with him in Wilmington, the Greenfield uh, Greenfield Lake Amphitheater, is that what it's called? Mm. But, uh, yeah, man, there's a lot of new bands that you just got to give it up, man. Like, when somebody's got it, like, you know, you just like, oh, they've got it. They're dope. That's, that's it, you know? I'm definitely the type where I, if, I, if I recognize the talent, I'll say something. You know, even if I'm not a big fan of, like, the, the music or the songs, I'm just like, damn, that... That dude, like, I'm not a huge Justin Bieber fan. My daughter is, but like, I'm just like, I can see clearly that that kid is talented as fuck, you know? Yeah, exactly. So, well, that's successful people. That's positive people, man. You you don't get 
jealous hearted. I mean, maybe you feel like a little bit of it or something, but ultimately you're like, man, I got to give it up. Like if you want to be cool in this world and be productive, you, that's how you got to be. You know, there's the reason to get weird about it or, or, or comparing yourself to other people's journey or anything like that. Really. It's just kind of like, yeah, man, recognize talent and, uh, and show some love, you know? Yeah. There's, there's no reason to, to be like that. You're just, you're just spinning wheels. You know, it's like the, you're sitting here complaining about someone else's success and that's keeping you from going after your own success. Like every minute you spend, exactly. you know, trashing this person or this artist or whatever, it's, it's another minute that's taken away from what you're supposed to be doing. And you can't sit there and complain. You, if it, if it's not working, make changes, you know, like it's exactly. just, just how it is. You know, I've had, I've had to take that advice before in the past and it, it's fucking sucked. You know, it's like the pride and the ego get in the way you gotta you gotta learn to like push it aside um you know well sometimes like i just don't understand why stuff is popular and, and not to take away from it, it's just sure. not my cup of tea yeah and my opinion differs from millions of other people's and that's fine you know what i mean like different journeys for different people and um we got this friend and brother named jeremy robertson he's an amazing drummer he's played with us and uh he plays with um this kind of like uh, country band, it's like a modern country band dude named Chase Rice these days, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, he, he was playing in Wilmington one night when we were playing in Wilmington, and it was like a big festival, and he came and saw us play, and then he gave us a bunch of backstage passes to come see him play. And, like, he came to our show, and um, it was right on the river. It was really cool. There was probably, like, 300 people there. It was awesome, you know what I mean? I was feeling, like, really good about it, you know? And, um, and then we went to go see him play, and like he got on stage, and I looked out there, man. There was like ten thousand people out there to see country music. You know what I mean? Like that—that's just how it is. Like different genres just have that different result. I'm like, oh my god, man, this stuff is huge. So anyway, I guess my point is like, there's different journeys, and and people do different things, and you can't compare yourself. You just got to do your own thing. You know, do whatever's true to yourself, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Like you know, I know the country music world is huge you know and it's like i mean i'm sure not every country artist is succeeding out there it's they're doing the same thing that we're doing they're they're grinding and you know uh they may not feel they may not be feeling the they're getting the results they wanted but um i'm still not going to go and write a bunch of country songs you know and put out a country record like i'll write country songs like if I'll, if i get with another like a country artist and they want to write songs with me hell yeah you know <laughs> go for yeah. it but i'm not necessarily going to perform them and put out the records you know it's just not my it's not my thing, you know. But like, I'll write different kinds of songs all day long. Like, I got, I got weird songs that Ballyhoo can never play, you know. Um, mm-hmm. But it's just how it is as a songwriter. But I just know that my heart is not in performing country music. It's just not my thing at all. Yeah, I can't stand most of it. So, yeah, yeah I feel you. Yeah, man, and it's not to take away from it. Like, there's some great songwriters out there in, in all genres, you know. And I, li- I like some of that stuff. I like a lot of that stuff. But um, yeah. Some of it, me personally is not for me, but I definitely know what you mean. Yeah. And but the thing is, even um, going back to the guy I was talking about, like he wasn't just a country singer. He was like, I think he was in the NASCAR. Like he won like a reality show, and and he had all the success in different avenues. And that's something that you got to push these days too, man. Like you are an artist and you're in a band, but it doesn't stop there. Like that's why that's cool as, as hell that you got this podcast. Like that's another element that you can share content with your fans and reach potential listeners and that kind of thing, man. Like you got to kind of stay active and have your hand in a bunch of different pots and so forth. You know I mean? Wear many hats, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think, uh, I think 
artist managers and you know people you know places like MTV they they thought of that and realized that you know 20 years ago like when when the real world started taking off in the 90s yeah um and then in the you know 2000s you start you start seeing like reality shows about like I remember Travis Barker was on Meet the Barkers you know him and his wife and their kids had a reality mm-hmm. show and that, and that just increases the brand you know it's just the awareness and it just grows the brand and then so no matter what he does those people that watch the show and love the show and now love him and his wife at the time they're going to they're going to buy whatever he puts out you know and yeah. it's just they figure that out you know and and um these days especially 2019 being an artist and I was talking to someone the other day about this. This is like we started in the '90s, and it took a long time to shake that me- that mentality, like these these this antiquated approach to how to be an artist and put out music in 2019 when everything has changed dramatically. It's not what it was. You have to forget all that. You have to shed everything you learned. You know, there's fundamentals. There's fundamentals, but like the way you do things the way you get things done now is completely different than it used to be. And you have to be, you have to have an entrepreneurial sense to you. Like you, your band is a business, whether you like it or not, you know, and again, Mm -hmm. what are your goals? You know, if you just want to go play music on the weekends, maybe your band is not a business. Maybe it's just something for fun. But if this is something you want to do and you want to make money and you want to like provide for a family one day, Mm -hmm. you know, do this forever. You have to think of this, think of it this way. And, yeah, man. YouTube channels, blogs, writing books, podcasts, like, you know, writing songs with other people, collaborating. Oh, and, uh, and, and number one, you just got to like, that's another cool thing about your band. Like all you guys are, are badass and you do multiple things. Like, um, your keyboard slash DJ player, uh, your DJ is a badass pianist. I mean, we kind of got that going on too. Like that's one thing, like if you do any, put it this way, if you're a rapper, like learn how to make your own beats, learn how to film your own videos. You know what I'm saying? Like if you're a guitar player, learn bass also, just in case, like learn drums also, learn how to sing, learn how to write. Like you gotta like wear mini hats in all genres, even just creatively, you know? Totally. Just to, to make it these days, just even have like a small shot, really, I feel like. A hundred percent, dude. Like you gotta be on, you know, uh, fully invested and really try to learn all the facets of the business. And, um, you know, there's nothing better than like learning so much to where you can do everything in house. Like mm-hmm. <clears throat> the last couple of years, I've really been gunning to like learn engineering and, and producing and all that stuff and mixing and stuff. And like, just to really pull it in house. So we don't like why, you know, pay for people to do this stuff if I feel like we can do it ourselves. You know, all that money that we would spend could go back into the band and we can just do more, you know? so Exactly. Yeah, so I'm definitely like, it's easy for me to say like, okay, you know what? I'm not going to be able to mix this because... I don't, I'm not confident yet. I know this person can mix it really well, so we're going to pay them to do it. I'll totally do that, you know? But like, if I feel like I can handle it, you know, and I, I spend mixes to people. And I'm like, oh, they're like, oh, this is good. I'm like, okay, well, cool. Then we don't have to like spend, you know, five or six grand <laughs> or 10 grand. Yeah, no doubt, man. You know, like we That's could take that thing. money and put it, it back into the band. I, I love that philosophy. For me, um, mixing your own music and recording it and all that kind of stuff, like I definitely understand the work ethic. That. That's hard though, man. Like just detaching yourself from it. And uh, I don't know, man. Some people can do it and mixing your own stuff, matching your own stuff. 
but it's almost like after you've done it, it's like, man, I got to take a break. Like somebody else did this, you know what I mean? Cause you, you spend so much time and effort on it, but yeah, for sure. Like if you can do all that, I mean, that's why I, we, I pretty much like film our videos nowadays. I kind of got into video uh, editing and just kind of mess around with uh, like, you know, uh, filmmaking and that kind of thing, man, because it, you can't wait on anybody else to do it. One, nobody's going to care as much as you do. And, and two, like you have more resources than you think, you know what I mean? Like you have a smartphone that can do anything and, you know, you got all this music and stuff. So, uh, yeah, that's kind of just what I, that, like, I, I just directed that video that we just put out. I mean, that's probably like our, our light heart of this video. I mean, it's me in a jetpack, like flying around and chopping a guy's hand off with a lightsaber. You know what I mean? Dude, but I know. That was amazing. Just, that was amazing. All but, the fucking uh, yeah, green screen. Man, but, <laughs> and you're flying around yeah, yeah. saving the day and that's shit. That's all you need, man. Like, just, just do it all yourself. And, uh, like you said, put the money back into the band. And um, that's like one of our fastest growing videos. Like we got like almost like eighteen thousand views in a week or something like that. All that, which fuck, that's awesome. I mean, for us, that that's not bad. I mean, that's pretty good. And and I just did it all myself. Like normally, when we do a video, we spend like a thousand dollars on it or something. You know, that's so. amazing. I think the the video we did for a gas station burrito, which is just us in the van. Like I did like six or seven takes of us just in different positions and like singing the song, like singing the song. We pulled some gear in the, in the, 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 I try to make it look ridiculous. Like you can't put a drum set in a van, but, but we did, you know what I mean? Like that kind of shit and like goofing yeah. off and it didn't cost anything. You know, I, I did all of, I shot it and I edited it. Right. And, um, I, I don't think we, we still don't have 18,000 and it's been, it's been out since December. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, nice. Good for you. That what I'm saying is good for you. That's awesome. No doubt, man. Yeah, but you could put out more content than you realize, man, these days with yeah. technology and stuff. And I think that's probably what fans are looking for, just getting to know you and your band and that whole thing. Just constantly put out stuff, even if you don't think it's like the best quality-looking stuff. Just put it out there because like, it's, it, it's content after all, and you'll just get better at it. You'll get better at editing and shooting and, um, you know, take you know, you should – man, it'd be rad if like you would do like – Take one, take all the songs I'm looking at. You got 13 tracks on this record. Start from number one or whatever, and just do every Monday, do like uh, an acoustic, uh, like a minute worth of on Instagram, and just put it out there. You know, acoustic. That's a good idea. Like, dude, yeah. fans love that stuff. I I do that every time we have a release, and um, they're always like, they're our most watched videos is when I do the acoustic shit. I think people just really enjoy acoustic stripped down stuff. Um, it's not really invasive, and you can you can really like. Especially if you're a good singer, like people, it gives a chance to really hear the hear your voice, and um, just fall in love with it. You know, that's a really good idea. I did this thing on Facebook for a while, and I called it BC Live at Five. Mm-hmm. It was like BC Live at Five, BC Live at Five. Like that was my little thing I did, it's and I just jingle. turned my Facebook Live on, and, and I played acoustic guitar, and I did it, and it worked pretty good. Like my following for that particular time was growing. But one thing I learned, 5 o'clock is a tough time because people are, like, just getting off work or just getting to work or, or whatever or just picking up their kids or, or whatever. They're just, you know, getting out of school, doing their homework or whatever. And um, it turned out to be – I just kind of stopped doing it because I was like, okay, I don't see this thing growing. I need to pick a different time slot. So that's another whole thing about social media, man. It's like analytics, figuring out when is the best time to post your content to your audience. That's the whole science that – the new generation is great at, you know what I mean? For people like us that have been doing it even before that, you know, it's like we kind of got to learn it, the, the curve of that also yeah. kind of thing. And, uh, but you know, it has been out for a while and 
But yeah, it's like when's the best time to drop a video? What time of day is it best to post your, you know, show updates and stuff? Yeah. There's a whole science to that, you know? I'll tell you, man, um utilize the the analytics in your Instagram um if you haven't already. But go go into your Instagram and look at your insights and it'll tell you when your when your uh followers are on the most. And for yeah. us, I don't like I still do it. Like I'll I'll post things in the morning, like just kind of like this morning I posted the thing about our new single coming out, but but that's because it's a new single. Um mm-hmm. to kind of start the pre-save stuff. But whenever for anything else, even when we're on tour and we're playing a show that night, I don't post till like three o'clock typically um, in the that afternoon because uh, what I've learned is that most of our followers um, aren't on until later in the afternoon. Everybody's on Instagram shit all the time, but like for whatever yeah. reason, the, the most uh, interaction engagement we get happens in the afternoon. So if I post, if I take a post and I put it up at, you know, 9am, you know, people are just getting to work and they're probably getting settled in. They can't be on their phone, whatever. Um, Mm -hmm. but if I post that same thing at three o'clock, it's, it's wildly different. Like we don't even break a hundred, um, a hundred likes. If I post in the morning, if I post in the afternoon, we break a hundred within a few minutes you know? Right. And yeah. Yeah. So it's, and, and then you want to make sure that you're available. This is a tip I'm going to give you. Make sure you're available. Like it's one thing if you got to make a quick post and you're, you're in the middle of something. I I totally get that. So it happens to me all the time, but try to make it so you can be sitting there for the next hour if it's possible. Yeah. And responding to people and therefore getting the algorithm to Exactly. In your favor and so forth. Exactly, because that because any everything happens in the first hour. In that first hour, nothing like it's not. A, it doesn't seem like a popular post. It just gets buried by the algorithm. And so yeah, I saw something about that on Facebook where it's like uh, the first fifteen minutes kind of determines your fate in the uh, interconnectivity in, in your the algorithm. Like if if you're not getting response in the first fifteen minutes, like that's what will happen. Or something like that. so I'm like, damn. Like, yeah. So you're exactly right, man. That's a good point. Like post at the right moment and then stay by your computer or phone and make sure you can respond to every comment, try to get people to comment and that'll put it in more feeds, I suppose, you know? Yeah. It shows you on the, on the insights in there, it shows you by day what, and what time of the day your most dense, uh, uh, engagement time is. And, um, and I think it just gets better as you go throughout the rest of the day into the night, like anywhere between like, Three and nine o'clock is when we have like, the best engagement, and you know everybody's getting home. I was going to say you should you should start up that live at five thing again, or not five, but you should do it at like eight or eight thirty because it was just cool because it rhymed live at five. You know what I mean? Yeah, you can call it think of something else. call it great at eight. I don't know, but like there something <laughs> something, uh, but do it at like eight nine o'clock because everybody's like winding down, they're chilling. Um, a lot of people don't even watch TV anymore. They're just they're on their phones anyway, you know. And mm-hmm. and then you might have some some uh, West Coast people that if you do it at eight, they're probably just getting home from work. If you do it at nine, maybe they're home already. You know, it's like it's that was always the best. It was like Wednesdays at like eight eight thirty was like the best time for me to do that. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, you know. Yeah, man. That's, I think people enjoy that kind of stuff. It, it, and you can get a little bit more laid back with it. Respond to some people on the live format too. That's and you know in real time. So it's kind of, I think it's fun for them to watch and be a part of. 
We live in a wonderful time, dude. For anybody that's like trying to create and, you know, do something like that, like it's, it was never more easy. You know, you just have to figure out what the, what, you, what works for you and you have to know your audience, you know? And I'm that's a really good attitude. I think that attitude is probably why you guys are, have the success that you have and the, and the success that you had and everything, man. Cause like, that positive mental attitude to think about it like that, that just kind of propels you forward, period, you know? It's a positive mental attitude and realizing they're like, yeah, man, in my pocket, I can film myself right now and put myself on the internet and have a hundred people come to my show because of it, like just <laughs> in one minute, you know? Dude, you could, you could take your voice notes and record an acoustic song and put it on, inst- on, on Spotify tomorrow, you know? <laughs> like, that's it. <laughs> yeah, like, that's a good point. If you really wanted to do that, I don't advise it, but you could totally do that if you want it. You know, it's like, that's the kind of world well, we could, live in. For that matter, yeah, man, I mean, you could, with a Spotify thing, you could make your whole album on your phone, film every video to every song on your phone, just do everything on your phone, like all your art and photography and everything, and like all in-house, you know what I mean? I don't know that I want to be on my, I'm already on my phone too much. Like, I don't know if I want to do all that, but I'm just saying somebody is going to do it soon. And if they already haven't, they probably already have. Yeah. There's probably somebody out there that's going to be like, you know, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's entirely possible. And, um, you know, that's, it just shows you like, if you take the, take the time and set up your rollout and make sure your, your visuals, your imagery, everything, like everything matches and, is in line is in the same theme as what you're doing and you have some sort of a plan you can make a dent you know on release week like you can make we we released girls uh march 24th 2017 and that was after three solid months of uh pre-order and promo i would so there was 12 songs on the record every week i would feature one song from the record and I would do an acoustics, like Monday or whatever, I would do an acoustic version of it. Tuesday, I'd put up a meme with some lyrics and the, and the album art. Wednesday, I would, you know, do, like basically, be some, it'd be something to do with that one song every day, you know, five, those five days in the week. Um, and then the next Monday, I would, it would be another song. And it was timed perfectly, because we thought about this, timed perfectly to be 12 songs, 12 weeks to release. And the record came out, um, and by like, I don't know, Friday afternoon, it was number one in alternative on iTunes and it stayed there until wow. Monday, dude, that That's dope, man. alternative, like that is like, I was so proud. Like, honestly, like charts don't really, I don't think they really do anything for the band. It just made, it's a good look when you get number one, if you can, or the mm-hmm. top 10 even, but like, it doesn't really do anything for you. Like, but like the fact that we stayed up there you know, number one for Friday to Monday. And I'm looking at like 21 pilots and green day, like underneath us, like it was a feat, man. It was like, it was an accomplishment. Yeah. And it just shows that our, that our fans were there and they love the band and the support was just immense. And we were so fucking grateful. And, um, you know, it, yeah, that, that's super cool. You just have you to have a player, man, for sure. Yeah. No, I appreciate that. that. That really, if anything, just reflects the work you've done. Yeah. You know? I mean, that's, that's amazing. Uh, I'm just trying to illustrate, that you need to put work into it. I say you can record a song on your phone and put it on Spotify tomorrow. You don't really want to do that. You know, <laughs> yeah. it's like, it's good to get content out, but have some sort of a plan. Do something. Give yourself a couple of weeks at least. But um, 
Like even yeah, now, it's also quality over quantity. Sure, you know what I mean. Sure. But at the same time, you don't want to hold on to stuff too long and overthink it. I suppose there's just a, a lot of a balance to all of it. Yeah, yeah. It's um, go ahead. No, I'm just saying I kind of struggle with both sides of it. Like I want to put a bunch of stuff out, but I also want to make sure it's like good. So it kind of hinders you from putting a bunch of stuff out, and then at the same time, you 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 want to put a bunch of stuff out, but maybe do it too early because. Like, you don't want to share ideas too early. I wonder if social media, for that matter, hinders creativity in some aspects because people are, a lot of times, they're like, hey, I just wrote this new song. I want to share it with you guys. You automatically have that platform to share it with so many people that you haven't really refined it to what it's going to be eventually. And um, that's one thing I struggle with, too. I'm like, all right, man, like, don't, I, like, sometimes I get the itch. I'm like, dude, let's go Facebook Live right now. I want to show everybody this new song. And then I'm like, well, wait a minute. We might want to get it together first, you know? Dude, I think, I think I I understand what you're saying. And I definitely have thought, like, I've always said, let's just, our biggest thing is like, we don't want to like give too much away and like have, and not have it be a surprise. Like we like to have our music, like our songs, like be stuff that's never been heard before. So like people feel like it's new and you know, they haven't, like they're not over already when they hear it, you know, for real. Mm -hmm. Um, But then Lately, I've been going live during well, like when I'm in my studio here, which is fucking every day. But like, um, I'll be on Pro Tools and just working on a song. I'm like, I'm just gonna set, I'm just go go live while I'm doing this. Why not? And I'll I'll start commenting on what I'm doing. I'm like, oh, check this shit out. Check this part out. Like, Don's fucking killing on the drums right here. Like, I'll listen to this verse. Like, and then we got these effects. Like, and I'm just going through the song and just soloing things out and like, kind of going through the process and like solid numbers the whole time like people are just viewing it and they're into it <clears throat> and they're just saying how much how cool they think it was that that I was kind of giving them that access you know that's a good point well you give them teasers and, and a little bit of a taste of a full thing that's coming later you know what I mean you're not giving them the whole shebang so that's that's really clever yeah I think it's for sure I think it's I think people love seeing the process and being a, being a part of it <clears throat> um, and so I'm not so shy anymore or so like secretive, like this isn't Avengers, you know what I mean? Like, it's 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 okay if I let people check out what's going on, like what we're working on, and it gets people yeah. stoked, you know? They get excited. They're like, oh, I remember when he was just working on that, you know? Like, because I would love to see my favorite bands doing that, you know? No doubt, yeah. You know, I saw Green Day. They went live one night, middle of the night. Like I'm down here working. I, I just happen to be on Instagram for a sec. Billy Joe Armstrong goes live, and it's like. They're in like their their practice space and they're playing a reggae song. Like it was, the, it was so f- weird. Like it was like Green Day. Just, they were just jamming. There was no l- real lyrics, no vocals or nothing. But it was like everybody was on an instrument. There were keys. There were you know drums, bass, guitar. And He's uh, Billy Joe's in a cover band. I saw some clip of that on YouTube, and I think they cover Nirvana. Yeah, and um, maybe like Smashing Pumpkins or something like that. Yeah, it's like all covers. It's like a I don't even know what it's called. But some secret kind of thing. LA thing or something. Yeah, yeah, they they do a bunch of uh, like '90s songs and shit, and like he they did. Um, I think they did "Drain You" by Nirvana. I was like, man, that's awesome. <laughs> Dope. Yeah. But no, that's those guys are always working too. They have all these other bands and stuff. But I don't know. I think I think people just like being being a part of it. So like, I would definitely like next time you're working on a song, you know, when you get to a place where you feel like okay, here's something. Like, like I like to wait till I have like a verse or like a chorus and a bit of a verse or something. Because I feel like it gets a little too tedious, like me sitting there just in total silence thinking of lyrics, you know. But like once I have mm-hmm. something I can kind of jam to and kind of hum on and stuff, like I feel like 
um, you know, people will be interested in that, you know, like listen to this hook, check this out, you know, and like, people are like, Oh my God, this is great. You know, I don't know. It's just fun. Yeah, no doubt, man. Well, uh, exactly. Brian, uh, tell everybody where they can find BC Villanova. BC Villanova solo debut record. It's called giant light. It's out right now on iTunes, Spotify, Google play. You can uh, check out some stuff on YouTube. We just put out a new brand new video for the song Soda Pop. And uh, uh, we're on Facebook. Uh, the band name is Villanova that we'll play with. So it's a capital V, capital N on Facebook. On Instagram, we're Villanova Rocks. So check us out. And uh, dude, thanks for having me, man. This is awesome. Like, I totally forgot we were doing a podcast. Like, we're, you know, just kind of like talking and stuff. And it was like fun talking to you anyway. And uh, <laughs> it, it's cool because. We're creating content once again in a fun way, like a, an enjoyable way. So we're having a conversation, man. I freaking love it, you know? Yeah, it's like there's many times where I'm in the van with the guys and like we're just going off, like saying the dumbest stuff ever. I'm like, why am I not recording this? Why am I not filming this? <laughs> yeah. Just put it on the internet. And then sometimes you're like, it's a good thing we didn't record that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, you say say and do some dumb shit sometimes. But um, but no, this this is fun, man. I appreciate you. Um, I... I uh, Everybody listening out there, go check out um, their song Soda Pop. I put it on the Tales Pod playlist on Friday. So everybody go check that out. And then uh, go listen to the record Giant Light. Um, they're all over the webs, the interwebs. And uh, you, can yes, fi- you can find the music where everywhere it's available, right? All the, all the major platforms. Yeah, we're about to hit the road with Trap for uh, a little run. So check us out. Nice. Uh, in uh, just Southeast States, pretty much. Yes, sir. Well, thanks for having me, man. I had a blast. Dude, you're very welcome. Thanks for uh, calling in. I appreciate it, dude. Right on, man. I'll talk to you soon. I appreciate you. All right, man. Have a great day. All right, man. Work. Have a good one. Yep. All righty. Brian Connor, everybody. Um, really nice, dude. It's a really good conversation. Um, oh, it's fun to learn. I learned some things. I hope you learned some things. Um all you bands out there, just got you got to step it up, man. You got to like learn your interwebs. Look at all your analytics, man. Go to Instagram, go to Spotify artists. Apple has one in beta. Sign up for that, Apple artists. Um, just learn your audience. Know who you should be targeting with your ads. You're not too punk rock to do ads. Just spend a little bit of money. It doesn't have to be a lot, 5, 10, 20 bucks. Get people to your shows. You know, it's, it's harder these days. There's so much music out there. Streaming has leveled the playing field. Anyone can do it now. Anyone can be heard. But only the ones that are loud enough are going to be heard. Write that shit down. Thanks for tuning in to Tales from the Green Room. This is Howie Spangler. And uh, follow me at Instagram at Howie Spangler and YouTube as well. Howie Spangler. Uh, Cool. Talk to you soon. Have a wonderful day, everybody.